Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's Ian. I'm usually down at the 502 site, uh, but it's great to be here. Uh, it feels like every time I come back here, there's just more of a sense of worship bubbling up from inside of everyone and just this kind of sense of togetherness in your worship. So honestly, this morning, maybe you're not noticing it because it's going from week to week, but I, as we were saying this morning, I was like, wow, God is doing something here uh, and we should celebrate that. So um, it's brilliant, brilliant to be, to be able to come here and, and sing with you and be with you and share God's word with you. Uh, there's also another opportunity tonight. If you are a student or uh, in your 20s, there is an opportunity tonight to come together and worship uh, at 502 at 7 p.m. We'd love to see you there. Just a great opportunity to encourage one another, uh, to hear from God in the prophetic and his word preached again. Just a short 10, 15 minute talk uh, and worship together as well. Some of you will remember that Phil Wilthew and a team from King's Arms Church in Bedford came to us about a year ago, and they came to encourage us in the prophetic. So we had a great night here together, and we listened to God, we heard lots from God as we worshiped together, and his presence uh, was with us. Uh, then the next morning, some of us met with the team again, and um, we were going around the group, and people were praying uh, for every single person in the group. And it came to me, and a guy started to pray over me. And you know when some people pray for you, you think, oh, that's really nice. It's a nice prayer. It's encouraging. But that's kind of it. Like there's no kind of, oh, this is going is, is to change my life forever. This is really prophetic. Until suddenly, in a moment, uh, Phil Wilthew said some very simple words that just cut to my heart. It was like a lightning bolt had hit me. He simply said, you are not done in Scotland yet. And in that moment, as I was stood there like a blubbering wreck, I knew that God had called Lindsay and I to go back to Scotland and plant a church in Glasgow. In a moment I knew, but there was still a long process to go through. We tested those words, like the Bible tells us to, in all kinds of ways, for almost a year. And unfortunately, Lindsay wasn't there that morning, so my first task was to persuade her that I hadn't gone absolutely nuts. Um, and then throughout the year, we talked to people who were wise. We talked to uh, the leadership here. We talked to leaders in advance. We talked to others who we know that we trust. We talked to those who we love, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we got into the Bible, and we prayed some more. And we're going, God, is this from you? Is this definitely from you? Should we go? So we tested it, this whole process was taking place. And it was a process that actually now we realize that we've announced to the church and we've announced uh, to the guys at Advance that we're going to go and do this, that we realize it's only just begun. Because actually, this process is leading us to a vision to gather people in Glasgow and say to them, look, let's pursue the glory of God for Glasgow's good. And as we do that, we recognize it's going to take a lifetime. That's a lifetime's work. In fact, it's more than a lifetime's work. Because the church will continue to grow because God is at work in it. In a moment, we can know something, but often there's a process to go through. And a lot of life is like that, isn't it? I remember when I became um, a, bar a barman when I was at university. I was a barman in a nightclub. And... Um, when I first put on that t-shirt that said bar staff 
on the back. And uh, I got into the bar and I was ready to serve my first drink. I might have been bar staff in that moment. But let me tell you, it was a process before I could really be any good at being a barman. That first night, those poor guys that were, were uh, coming and ordering pints, I think there was more head than there was body. It was ridiculous. So lots of life is like that. You begin in a moment, and then it's a process. And actually, the gospel is like that as well. The gospel is this moment and a process. We hear the gospel, this good news about Jesus, and it transforms us, doesn't it? It changes us in a moment. But we also need the gospel to be continually proclaimed to us so that we might grow in the gospel. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about um, what it looks like to grow in the gospel and to be changed in a moment by the gospel. We're in our series, A Better Way, and we're looking at these two letters from the Apostle Paul, one to the church in Colossae and one uh, to this guy called Philemon, who was a leader in the church in Colossae. The church had been uh, planted by a guy called Epaphras, but he was in prison as well as Paul now, and they were right, uh, that was when they wrote to Philemon, he was in prison, um, and that was just simply for ch- sharing their faith, that was simply just for, for being bold with the gospel. And in both letters, Paul is keen for the Colossians to know something, that the gospel should be proclaimed both for salvation and It should also be continually proclaimed for transformation, a moment and a process. So we're going to have three titles that are going to help us this morning, okay? One is a seed, okay, a seed, because the gospel is planted in our hearts like a seed in a moment. The second is a tree, because although the gospel is planted in our hearts like a seed in a moment, we also are to grow like a tree and bear fruit. And then third, a forest. Because the, the healthiest place for gospel growth and to flourish in life is together in community. So we're going to look at a, a seed, a tree, and a forest. Let's read um, from Philemon first. We're going to go to a few different texts today because Paul makes this point in in a number of places. Philemon verses 4 through 6 say this. In your Bibles, it's page 1200. Okay, so if you've got one of those blue Bibles, it's page 1200. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Okay, let's, let's also jump to Colossians, okay? And that's on page 1182. And we're in chapter one. And we're gonna read from verse three through to the end of verse six. It says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard 
in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are good, that you have come and that your gospel is here for us to hear. We can hear your gospel be transformed in a moment. And then there's this lifetime of discovering more of its glorious life. And Lord, we know that we can't do all this on our own strength. We can't become good in our own strength. We need you. We can't uh, discover the best of life without you. We need you in every way. And, and we pray now that as we open up your word and we, we explore what it is that you want to say to us this morning, we pray that we do that with your power, with your spirit. We give ourselves over to that. Now we say, we are not capable, but you are. So come, Lord, would you speak to us in great power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the seed. So the gospel seed in our hearts is planted in a moment. It's in that moment we believe that the good news about Jesus has the power to make all things right again. That's at the heart of what the gospel is. I was at an advanced uh, church planting course this week. That's uh, our network of churches who put on this course for church planters. It's been a real help to me. It's, been the, it's actually the last one. I'm a bit sad about it. The very last one that I, had to go to, that I was uh, going to. And so we had a guest speaker there. And one of the guest speakers was talking there about uh, some of the stuff that he's doing across the world. So he works in Eastern Europe, he works in the Middle East, and he works in North Africa. And he decided for one of the sessions, what he'd do, rather than just teach us, he would just tell us stories, incredible gospel stories. And so he told us about this woman. She was in Syria, and her hometown um, was being ripped apart. She'd lost friends, she'd lost family, and... Um, her whole world had been devastated by war. And she's fleeing the violence with her young family. And one night she's camped out um, as they are traveling to try and get out of the country. And she gets a dream. And in this dream, she is going towards a border. And when she crosses this border, it's a very, very vivid dream. She feels like she's there. She crosses the border, and she gets to the other side. And someone comes up to her and says, next time you come here, ask for Mary's son. And when you ask for him, he will come to you, and he will bring you peace. Incredible dream. She woke up and thought, wow, that was a strange dream. And then maybe didn't think about it all that much after that. And they keep traveling. Eventually, they make it to this border. And she starts to get a case of deja vu. I've seen this before. She crosses over the border and she goes, this is my dream. This was, this was the vision in my dream. This is what I dreamt. And so she goes over into this uh, border town on the other side. And this border town is, is controlled by Hezbollah and in Lebanon, so it's a very dangerous place, particularly for Christians. And she runs up to the nearest woman, and she says, I, 
I had this dream and, and, and I was supposed to ask, do you know Mary's son? And she asked this lady and the lady looks at her delighted because she's part of a secret church. And this secret church loves Jesus, knows who Jesus is, knows who Mary's son is. And she responds and says, yeah, oh, I know him. He can bring you peace. And she explains how the Prince of Peace has come to the world for her. The gospel changed that woman right there in a moment. And that's, a, that's a, an incredible story of how the gospel can change us in a moment. But each of us has our own story. Mine wasn't quite so spectacular. I liked a girl. So I went to a youth group. And at the youth group, they talked about going to a camp. I thought she was going, so I thought I'd go to the camp as well. Turns out, she didn't come. And yet, there at this camp, each night, the gospel was proclaimed. I heard the gospel, and at the end of the camp, on that last night, I gave my life to Jesus, and it changed me forever. So mine wasn't quite so spectacular. You'll have your own story of that moment when Jesus changes your life. It is the gospel that the Colossians had already heard and believed through Epaphras and the gospel that gave Philemon faith and the gospel that has come to us that transforms us, changes us in a moment. In a moment, we went from spiritual orphans to sons and daughters of God. In a moment, we went from guilty to justified. In a moment, we went from ashamed to honored by God. In a moment, we went from failure to victory. In a moment, we went from blindness to sight. In a moment, we went from dark to light. In a moment, we went from hopelessness to hope. In a moment, we were changed. In a moment, the gospel has been planted in us like a seed and given us new life. The gospel is good news for all of us. For the Colossians, for that Syrian woman, for us, for Pool the whole world. And now we have a responsibility to share it, to proclaim it in the same way that Epaphras had been faithful to go back to his hometown and proclaim to the other Colossians, there is good news. Jesus, the king of the universe has come and he loves you and he proved it. He died on the cross dying for you so that you might have your sin placed upon him and he would give you his righteousness instead and now you can be free from all of that and suddenly life changes forever it's to be shared it's not for us to hide we don't receive the gospel and then just put it in our back pocket forget about it and coast through life and never mention it again we need to be ready to answer questions like do you know mary's son that is God's design for spreading the gospel around the world. God spoke life into being. He spoke to Abraham and he promised Abraham that he would bring a, a blessing to the nations through this one nation that he would be father of. He spoke to Moses Joshua, and Joshua and he gave the Israelites the law. He spoke to the judges. He spoke through the prophets all the way up until eventually John the Baptist comes. 
And John the Baptist proclaims, he speaks, he preaches. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent. And then Jesus himself comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. God himself comes preaching. We're supposed to proclaim this. The temptation now to not proclaim is enormous. To be honest, I can often feel a bit awkward and weird trying to explain the gospel to people. It can feel bizarre, but we shouldn't. Do you know why? Because it's stunning, and life doesn't make sense without it. We can be confident in it. The loving thing to do is to share. The loving thing to do is not to keep life from people, but to tell them. You can have life. You can have freedom. You can have joy. You can have everlasting life with God. You can know God. Why would we keep that from people? There's a really popular quote that's um, often wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It says, share the gospel and, if necessary, use words. It sounds good. It's just not true. We need to learn to look for and take the opportunities that God gives us to speak the word, to speak the gospel. Now, let me be totally transparent with you. Sometimes that's going to go really well. Sometimes it's not, and that's okay. The other night, I was in the pub watching the most dire game of football I think I've ever seen. No offense, England v. Germany. And I'm, and I'm stirred that I need to try and sh share the gospel with someone that night. So this guy comes through. I can tell he's a little bit drunk, but I thought I'll go for it anyway. So um, he's talking about, he's, I won't say what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> I just realized I probably shouldn't. Um, and anyway, I start trying to engage with conversation with him, get a little bit of banter. And so I'm doing that so that I can share the gospel with him. He starts talking back to me, and he's not talking back to me because he wants to talk to me about the gospel. He starts talking back to me because he wants to fight. And so I spend 20 minutes trying to persuade him I don't want to fight him. And so afterwards, I'm like, Lord, what, what was going on there? Like, I took a step of faith. What happened? And do you know what I felt God say? Great. Go again. Great. Keep doing it. Go again. Keep trying. Keep tell, telling people about Jesus. We need a dogged persistence in sharing the gospel in the hope that some will receive its life. The gospel has been planted in us in a moment, but we are also called to grow. We are called to be like trees. Not only is the gospel a seed planted in our hearts in a moment, when we hear the gospel, it's also growing in us. Colossians 1.23 says, Continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul prays that Philemon's experience of the gospel would deepen and that the Colossians would not move from the gospel. So Paul is desperate to tell this little church, this fairly insignificant church in an insignificant town, that the seed of this gospel, this gospel faith, is 
not just to be put in a plant, plant pot and forgotten about, but is to develop and grow roots so that they might grow into healthy trees. Christianity is not to be saved by the gospel and then at that point just try really hard to be a good person. That is not what the gospel says. It is to be saved by the gospel and to grow by the gospel. What will truly change us is not our own efforts. What will truly change us is to be more and more amazed at what Jesus has done for us. Not just trying hard. To apply this gospel, which Paul says is a gospel of grace, that's a free gift from God, is to flee from moralism and self-righteousness. It's to flee from this idea that we can prove ourselves, to build our own identity. He is the one who has given us a new identity. That's what we've been saved from. We've been saved from this self-righteousness. So why put ourselves back under that burden? Why do we do that? We can't do it. We can't become more like Jesus and display his goodness in our lives without the life-giving power of Jesus, the life-giving power of his gospel. And that's why we need to keep proclaiming it again and again and again and again. Keep proclaiming the gospel to yourself. Don't move on from the gospel. You do not graduate from the gospel. The gospel is always the center point of our Christian faith. The gospel is not just a moment, it's a life process for Christian growth. The process of a gospel-centered life looks a bit like this. It will say things like this, I will be faithful as I receive God's faithfulness to me. It says, I will increasingly love the people around me as I receive the love of Jesus. It says, I will serve God sacrificially because I am so aware of how Jesus has sacrificially gone to the cross for me. It says that I will be increasingly forgiving as he constantly forgives me. It says, I will be more generous with my time and my money as I receive the lavish gifts of God's grace. It says, I will increasingly use my gifts for his glory because I look to his creation and see his incredible creative power. The gospel, this good news about who Jesus is and that he has come and that he has revealed God and made a way in which we can know God, all of these things, all of these things are the things that motivate us to become more like him. We cannot just go, oh, okay, I believe, and so now I've just got to work really hard at being good. We've got to go, I believe, and now I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you so much more, God. Would you, would you draw close to me? And we need to do all that we can to draw close to him and enjoy the gospel and his goodness more and more and more and more. I had a friend in Glasgow who was um, struggling with comfort eating. And he came to me and he said, look, I could do with your help. Will you help me think about diet and going to the gym and all that kind of stuff? He was one of those guys who, he was a Christian guy, and um, he just, when he got down, he would just open up, the ice, uh, open up the freezer, grab a tub of ice cream, and punch away. And the whole thing, he'd just go. Or he'd go out to the shop and grab a, a big, massive chocolate bar and just eat the whole thing for himself, just because he was feeling a bit down. 
And so um, I said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll help you. Um, but the reality is, if you go to the gym and you do really well and you, you get your exercise regime sorted and you, um, you also sort out your diet, all you're going to do is replace one thing for the other. You're just, you're good, you've been, when you've been feeling sad, you've been going to food. But now, actually, you're thinking that you can solve this problem by going to food. So you're, you're replacing it with a diet. And yeah, that's practical. It helps, doesn't it? So it helped him for a while. Um, but then what happens is he got into this cycle. So when he uh, had a bad day, didn't get to the gym, ate a couple of donuts, he would feel really down again. He would, he would feel awful about it. And what would make him feel great was going to the gym and getting his uh, diet right. And so it was this kind of horrible cycle where he was, he was feeling up and down all the time. And eventually he got it. Eventually we were, I was like, look, we just, need to, we just need to pray together and talk this through because actually that stuff, this sorting out your diet is not the thing that's going to help you in the long run. What's going to help you in the long run is realizing that Jesus is the bread of life and he satisfies. He is the only one who can satisfy you. And he eventually, he got that. And do you want now? He's a really healthy guy. He, he, he is more disciplined than he was. But see, when he, you know when he has a bad day? He isn't in a foul mood anymore. He isn't, it isn't that, oh, if I, if I have that donor or I, I don't get to the gym, that, that everything, his world's going to come crumbling down. Because it isn't about that anymore. It's about Jesus. And when it becomes about Jesus, all those other periphery things kind of sort themselves out. Because the focus is right. We recognize that the satisfaction can only come in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Last week, Lindsay was meeting some friends in London, and so uh, I decided to go along um, and uh, take Annabelle to the Natural History Museum. Now, Annabelle's only eight months old, so really it was for me, okay? But <laughs> we'll just pretend it was for her. So um, we're going around the museum, and she's going, bah, 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 looking at all the lights, looking at all these massive structures. And I'm going, whoa, wow, ah, wow. Uh, and we're working our way around, and we're trying to get around to the to the Heinz Hall. Does anybody know how to pronounce that, by the way? Heinz? Hintze? No. Okay. That's good. I'll just say Heinz. Everyone happy? Heinz Hall. So we're in the Heinz Hall, and that's where this massive blue whale is. And I cannot tell you how big that thing is. It's enormous. So I'm looking at it. I'm just, like, blown away. And so anyway, we're, we're there. We're seeing this blue whale, and we're walking along, and we're kind of looking up at it, and trying not to bump into too many people. And then eventually we get to these steps. And at the end of the hall, these steps lead up to this huge-looking desk thing. And so I'm intrigued. So I walk up the stairs towards it, and I suddenly realize, oh, that is, that's a slice of a tree. That's absolutely massive. And the closer you get, the more you realize just how big it is. It is enormous. Now, they found this tree um, after it had been cut down in 1893 in California. And the tree was 101 meters tall. It was enormous. And so this thing's on display, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, 
I had no idea that you could get a tree this big. I mean, it is huge. So I'm probably more blown away by that than I was a blue whale. Anyway, I'm preparing this week for this sermon. And I, my mind goes back to that tree and I think, do you know what? I had no idea. I doubted that a tree could ever be that big. Without seeing it, there's no way I would have believed a tree could have been that big. And I just felt God prompt me to say, why don't you believe that I can grow you into a great tree? Why don't you believe that I can make you a spiritual giant? And what I want us to learn from that is that God has given us all the potential to be spiritual giants. That we're not supposed to just be little saplings, but actually we can be giants by the power of the gospel. And the key to it is this, just like my friend, we need to stop looking to ourselves and comparing ourselves to others and instead look to Jesus and what he has done for us. If we keep proclaiming the gospel to ourselves in every single area of our lives over and over and over and over again, that same gospel, the gospel that says you can't do it, but Jesus has done it then we can grow into these spiritual giants that people will flock to and underneath they will pick from the fruit of its branches. Underneath they will find shelter and love. To be a spiritual giant, we must continually go back to the gospel. Have you stopped believing that the gospel has the power to grow your faith? Has your growth stunted. Know this, every single one of us has potential for fruitfulness and growth by the grace of God. We are called to flourish. The gospel is a moment and it's also a process. Number three, the forest. Giant trees are not found exposed and alone. They exist in flourishing forests. Let me remind you of uh, Philemon verse six. It said, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. At the end of Acts one, we read that 3,000 people have their moment in Jerusalem, when the gospel is planted in their hearts. Then at the beginning of chapter 2, we see the gospel life is immediately established. And how is it established? Well, the church is born. On this passage, Martin Lloyd-Jones, this great 20th century preacher, said, Life expresses itself. The gospel, planted in people's hearts in a moment, moves us towards a communal expression, a joint expression, a community expression of gospel life. The great church father, Augustine, he said this, you cannot have God as your father if you do not have church as your mother. Like trees in healthy forests, the gospel is constantly multiplying and reproducing life. Paul is keen for the Colossians to know that that life multiplies and flourishes in community. 
in our, in our individualistic society where it's more and more popular for people to think, well, religion's a private matter. We cannot talk about this enough. It is so easy for us to get into the habit of thinking that we just make decisions based on our own wants and needs. That's everything that culture tells us. But actually, the Bible never talks in that way. It's almost always community, community, community. Come together with your brothers and sisters. That's where the forest is. That's where you'll flourish. We need to be constantly reminded that to be healthy, reproducing trees, we need to be part of a healthy forest. Glasgow's city emblem has a big oak tree right in the middle of it. And underneath, the motto used to say, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. I love it. I think St. Mungo, the founder of Glasgow, was spot on for villages, towns, cities, anywhere in the world to truly flourish. We need the word of God to be preached and preached again and again and again. And for us to turn from idolatry to worship. Because that is where we will find life and shelter. Now, unfortunately, in Glasgow, there are now only about one to one and a half percent of people attending a gospel-centered church on any given Sunday morning. And half of them are over the age of 65. And I believe that that is because the gospel was lost in three generations. In the first generation, what happened was people proclaimed the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they lived the gospel. In the second generation, people assumed the gospel. And they stopped preaching the gospel to one another and to the city. And what happened was people just went off towards moralism. This idea that it's about being good or bad. Well, it's about being good, not bad. And then the third, the, in the third generation, they came along and he said, well, all we see in the church is self-righteousness and religion, so why am I going to bother with this? And they'd be right. We must continue to preach the gospel again and again and again and again and again and again, because that is where life is. When we do not, what happens is spiritual death. We need the gospel in every way, every way. That is life. That's where life exists. That's where Jesus is. That is the gospel, Jesus Christ. Let's keep talking about him. That is why our kids work. We're trying to do gospel-centered stuff and not just teach them to be good, or good boys or girls. That is why every time you hear someone sing a song in this place, we're going to be talking about the gospel. That is why every week we hear the word preached. It's deliberate. It's not just tradition. We're doing it because we believe that's where life is. And we want everyone to know how good that life is. We want people to know that they can be set free and that they can live forever with Jesus. What helps you decide what you do from week to week? Is it the gospel that drives your decisions for how you spend your time? Or do you only consider what suits you? Do you consider how you can best position yourself to proclaim the gospel in work, at clubs, whatever your thing is? Do you consider how you can have the gospel proclaimed to you? Do you get along to life group and make that a priority? Do you get along to Sunday mornings and make that a priority? 
Do you meet with other Christians and pray with them and talk with them? Do you open your Bible as often as you can? Now, we're not going back to works. So if you're now sitting there and feeling guilty, you'd be wrong. You've been set free from that. So turn to Jesus. And actually what you'll see is more and more you will desire to be at these places and you'll be desiring to do these things because you're falling more and more in love with him. Paul also helps to see that partnership isn't just local, it's worldwide. So the relationships between Paul and Epaphras and Philemon and Timothy and the church in Colossae are all vital to their growth. Paul, this giant of faith, had helped Epaphras to plant the church. And now he's helping Philemon and the others to strengthen it. Most of you all know that our uh, church movement is called Advance. And our uh, slogan that goes along with it is to plant churches and strengthen them. Planting and strengthening churches. Now that really is happening. It's such a joy for me having announced about us going to Glasgow. People are genuinely getting around us even when it's not within their own interests. Let me just give you one quick example. In December, Matt and I are going to Glasgow. Now, Matt, you will know Matt is busy. Today, Matt is at a church in London, in Ealing, helping them, uh, a church called Redeemer, helping them to uh, bring in elders into their church. And when he's here, he's extraordinarily busy as well. And he is taking uh, time out to go with me to Glasgow. Why? Because he wants to partner with me. He wants to pray with me, and he wants to go around the city and help me with strategy. That is phenomenal. We are not a powerful church. We're just an idea at the moment. But he's willing to go. And actually, that is true of advance generally. Think how many people have come here and helped us, helped us with our kids' work, helped us with our worship, helped us with preaching, come and taught us well and faithfully. They love us, and we're partnering together with them. And that is such a good thing. There's genuine partnership for us as we go to Glasgow, and that's a huge answer to prayer for us, for Lindsay and I. And there's genuine partnership here in the church. We are partners together as we go to Poole and Bournemouth with the gospel. So let's continue to partner together. Let's continue to preach the gospel to one another time and time and time again. Let's continue to be this healthy forest together. Let's look to grow as trees. Let's look to spread as many seeds as we can so that people might receive more of this life. If you've not received the gospel, please grab someone at the end, talk with them, try and work it out, and pray together. If you believe for the first time, Definitely grab someone, someone you know is a Christian, pray with them, help that, have them help you uh, in this moment because we're supposed to do this together. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you have given us this glorious gospel, this gospel about Jesus Christ, the, the God who went to the cross and sacrificed himself for us. And thank you, Lord, that you're continuing to set us free by the gospel. You're not saying, oh, you're saved, but now 
you need to go and just work it out on your own. You're with us. You love us. The, our motivation for change doesn't come through our own might and strength. It comes through your power and your love and your glorious gospel. So thank you, Lord, that it's not about us, but it's about you. Thank you, Lord, that each and every single person who is sat here right now can be a spiritual giant, like a giant sequoia tree. Lord, would you right now just impart that to be truth to every single one of us now? Would we have faith for that? Would we have faith for what you're calling us to, what, we are, what potential we have in you? And it's all about you, Jesus. Thank you so much. In your wonderful name, amen.